Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. As we continue our journey through the book of Romans, today we're going to take a pause and look at verses 3 and 4 and kind of drill down on this issue of the idea of repentance. So, uh, 1058, 1030 is going to come quick. I got to talk real fast, so you guys got to listen real fast because I probably got about an hour's worth of stuff I want to try to get out, but that may not happen. We'll have to call on the fly. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this time you've given us to be in your word and in your house. And Father, we are asking that you, through the person of the Holy Spirit, would open our minds and our ears so that we can hear your word that it would become that implanted word that changes the way we think and changes the way we live because it conforms us into the image of Christ. We're asking, Lord, that you would uh, speak to those who are lost in this place today, that you would bring them to yourself through the truth of your word. For those of us who are believers, that you would challenge us and strengthen us to be faithful to your word, Father. And as always, Lord, use this vessel to bring glory and honor to your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we know that Paul's been making this argument. He started out, you remember, not to rehash everything we talked about, but it's good to keep in our mind the flow of what's taking place in the Scripture. And so Paul starts in verse 15 telling us that he is eager to proclaim this gospel uh, to the, the church at Rome. And he says, I'm eager because one, it is the power of God and the salvation. He says, I'm eager, number two, because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, which we will talk about once we get over to chapter three specifically. And then he says, also, I'm eager to share this to you because God's wrath is being revealed in this gospel message. And so we've been dealing with that in the remainder of chapter one and even beginning in chapter two, how God has been pouring out his wrath on humanity uh, who suppressed the truth and continue in willful disobedience to God although they know that God exists just because of general revelation. And so if you remember, whenever we got to chapter, the end of chapter 1, the, the Jewish audience would have said, Amen, those Gentiles are just like that. They're dirty, rotten, despicable, and they deserve God's wrath. And Paul pulls back the reins and says, Hey, wait just one moment. Who are you, O oh man, who point your finger at them and do these same things? Do you think you're going to escape the wrath of God? And the obvious answer is no. You're just as guilty as those Gentiles that you are accusing and blaming and bringing down God's wrath upon. And so that led to Paul giving us what he gave us in verses 3 and 4 about this uh, repentance that comes because of the kindness of God. And so we talked a lot about that, uh, those passages last week, but I thought it was prudent since we are in this section of the text to drill down on this issue of repentance. And the reason is because there are those uh, among, quote, evangelical Christians 
who deny that repentance is required or ought to be a part of our salvation uh, experience. And there are, again, this is not to pigeonhole one particular group of people over the other, but predominantly uh, those that believe that kind of ideology are those who are in, and again, uh, if you're part of this, I grew up in this group, okay? So if you're part of this, not to, not to mean to offend you, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, the independent fundamental Baptist King James only, uh, soul winning, uh, to give all their, their uh, title, uh, people. For the most part, they deny the issue of repentance as it relates to salvation. And, and I think that's an egregious denial of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I think it's important for us to understand why repentance is important to salvation and what does it look like, okay? And so we're going to go at it this morning, uh, looking at it really from three main headings. First, we're going to talk about the problem, which I've just kind of briefly outlined for you. Secondly, we're going to look at the biblical evidence for the, this need or rather demand for repentance as it relates to salvation. And then finally, we're going to have a brief uh, discussion about the biblical gospel as it relates to this issue of repentance. So I've already kind of laid it out for you just a, a little bit. There are two terms that are used for those who would believe that repentance is not necessary for salvation. For those who are opposed to the idea that repentance is not necessary for salvation, who would believe that repentance is, is necessary and intrinsic to salvation, uh, it is generally called easy believism. Maybe you've heard of that term before. That is really, from the perspective of the other side, a derogatory term that is used against them in their doctrine. What they would prefer to understand it as is free grace. That would be the theological label that they would put on their idea. And there are a couple folks, I wasn't going to share a, a clip, but we don't have time for that this morning. But there are a couple folks that I wanted to, to at least give you some sense of a quote to give you an idea of where they're coming from, okay? One of them is a guy named Bob Wilkin, and he done a debate many years ago with another person uh, over this particular issue. But in, a, in an article that he wrote about it, here's what he says uh, to kind of sum up his thoughts. He says, the Lord Jesus taught that everlasting life is a free gift and at that, uh, and that it cost uh, the recipient nothing, though it cost him, cost him meaning Jesus, uh, suffering and death. He indicated that all who simply believe in him have everlasting life. And when we read that statement, we would say, amen, right? Salvation is grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. It's without any mixture of works. But what is couched in that phrase, simply believe in him, is this idea that a person does not have to exhibit a changed life as a result of their faith in Christ. And so he would say that repentance in that sense, that we turn from our sinfulness and we turn to Christ as Lord and Savior of our life, which impacts us by changing who we are, that that's not necessarily true, that a person can just say, I believe, and that's it. They're done. They don't have to change their life. They can continue living like they want if they just sincerely believe in Jesus Christ. That's the egregious part of this free grace concept. There's another guy I was going to share his clip, but you can go look him up uh, if you want some uh, entertaining 
preaching. Uh, you can go look him up. His Stephen L. Anderson is his name. I, I came across him many, many uh, years ago. But he's got a, there's, there's a 14 minute clip out there that he has of, of a sermon that deals with this issue of the, the free grace. And he calls the title of this sermon, uh, Repentant Spectrum Disorder, obviously playing off the autism uh, issue. But uh, he, he kind of lays it out and he says, hey, on, on, the, on the right side, the, the correct side, it is this, hey, all you got to do is say, I believe in Jesus Christ and everything is hunky-dory. You got your ticket punch. You're going to heaven. No matter how you live the rest of your life, it's all good uh, for you. Uh, and then when he gets to the very extreme side of this uh, disorder that he calls this repentance spectrum disorder, uh, he, he gives this quote about how he diagnoses a person. And the way he diagnoses that person that has this disorder, he says, hey, okay, there's a guy over here that we're witnessing to, we're sharing the gospel with, and this, guy, this guy's an alcoholic. He, he's a drunkard. He, he loves to drink. And he has no intention of ever uh, quitting or stopping drinking uh, throughout the rest of his life. But he believes in Jesus. He understands he's a sinner. He knows that Jesus died on the cross for him, and he placed his faith in Jesus. Is this person saved? Well, in that statement, there, there are a lot of problems with, with that issue. Namely, he says, if, if you say that that person couldn't be saved, well, I don't know if a person's saved, even if they sinned. Are we, are we going to be perfect after we come to faith in Christ? Anybody say they're perfect after they come to faith in Christ? No, none of us are, right? We all fail, but we have that advocate. But the reality is when we come to faith in Christ, which we'll bring out, uh, hopefully, in, if time permits, in, in our sermon today, that when we come to faith in Christ, there is an inherent change that takes place in us that we don't want to do those things anymore. But here's my question to Stephen L. Anderson. What if you change that? Because alcoholism, you know, that's a debatable issue. It, 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 alcoholism is wrong, right? Being, uh, being a drunkard is wrong. But the Bible does say, hey, uh, you know, it, the sin is when you become drunk. It doesn't necessarily say you should never put an alcoholic beverage in your mouth. Now, I'm a teetotaler. Why? Because I saw what it did to my dad. He was an alcoholic. He was a drunk, okay? And it destroyed his life, and it destroyed our family, and I don't want to have anything to do with alcohol, okay? Because it is a destructor of humanity and a destructor of families. But that's not to say that, that the Bible says, thou shalt not drink, because it doesn't, right? Uh, it, it just says, don't be drunk with wine. So we can debate that later. But what if Stephen L. Anderson had that same illustration and he says to this guy, okay, there's a gentleman out there that we're witnessing to, we're, we're sharing the gospel with, he's a pedophile. He, he loves pedophilia. He loves to have sex with little children and he never intends to stop that the rest of his life. But he believes in Jesus, right? And he says Jesus died for his sins. Is that person saved? That makes it a different story, doesn't it? Huh? So how does all of that work out? I'm not saying that works save you. I agree. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, right? But when we come to salvation and when we come to faith in Christ, it fundamentally changes who we are. We don't want to do the things we used to do, and we want to follow after the things of God. And I get it. We have that battle we're going to face. Romans chapter 7, we'll be there in a month or two. But Romans chapter 7, we'll deal with that. So there's some inherent problems with this concept. There is a, this idea that there does not have to be any life-changing evidence 
of our new birth or regeneration when we come to faith. And I think that's contrary to Scripture. And repentance is at the heart of this issue. And so you know how I feel already, probably, because I think repentance is the is necessary for salvation. Their argument is that repentance becomes a work. So if we add repentance in that that becomes a work that believers do, and salvation is not by works. Well, if faith is not a work, why does repentance have to be a work, right? Because we have to willfully believe, don't we? That's an act of our will, same as with repentance. We're going to find out from the text that Repentance, like faith, I believe, is God's gift to us as he opens our eyes to the fact that we need a Savior. So, skipping ahead to the second point, the biblical evidence. And really going to give you this and just kind of maybe bullet point, fast-paced idea. Because we're really going to look at three, three things. We're going to look at the preaching of John the Baptist, the preaching of Jesus Christ, and the, preachings of the preaching of the apostles, in particular, Peter and Paul. Okay, so how does Jesus, how does John the Baptist, how does Peter and Paul deal with this issue of repentance as it relates to salvation? All right, uh, the first passage I want to turn our minds to, and you just have to write these down and go back and, and, and look them up because we're not going to have time to turn there. I cheated. I got them in my notes. John the Baptist, the forerunner, right? The one crying in the wilderness, coming to pave the way for Jesus Christ. Here was his message, Matthew Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Here was his message when he stepped on the scene. He says, in those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's the first thing out of his mouth? Repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is euphemistic way of, hey, the Messiah is coming. He's ushering in the kingdom of God. In order to be part of that, repentance is necessary. And by the way, uh, I'm using all King James uh, version in all my cross references simply because that's what this the, the predominant people who would be against repentance would use because for them that's the only inspired uh, word of God, the King James Version. I particularly prefer the ESV at this moment, but I'm going to use all King James just to show from the King James Version that repentance is requirement for salvation. John the Baptist says that. Matthew chapter 3 verses 5 through 7. Uh, Matthew goes on. Then he went out uh, to him. Uh, uh, then they went out to him in Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptizing him in Jordan, confessing their sins. That's a harken back to this idea of repentance, right? The same chapter. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And so he ties in this idea of repentance, confession of sin, the concept of being saved from the wrath of God. If that doesn't sound like salvation, I don't know what it is. Because what is ultimately salvation? It is us being saved from the wrath of God because we are guilty and God is going to pour out his wrath on sin. And the only thing that will save me from that is if I repent and turn to Christ because he suffered God's wrath on the cross of Calvary in my stead. And he made a way for me to be reconciled to God, to be made 
holy and clean because his righteousness has been imputed to me and my sin and my guilt has been imputed to him. Luke chapter three and verse three. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. So hopefully you see quite clearly in just those three texts that John the Baptist understood that repentance was important for those who are coming into the kingdom of God. What about Jesus? Two passages we'll look at in in Jesus. Jesus says in Mark chapter 4 in verse 17, this is really, both of these verses are after John the Baptist has left the scene. John the Baptist gets put in prison. You know the story. Jesus begins his earthly ministry after his baptism. And when Jesus steps on the scene, this is part of, this is the message that he was proclaiming. It says, uh, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, well, guess what Jesus says? Repent for the kingdom of God or heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then in Mark chapter one, verses four through 15. Now, after that John was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So in this passage, Jesus inextricably links repentance and faith as it relates to the gospel message, which is all about him and what he has done, right? So he is telling us the very first thing we have recorded out of his mouth is repent and believe the gospel. So if if repentance is not required, then was Jesus wrong? Or is something wrong with the King James Bible? You tell me. Because all I can tell you is what the Bible says. And it seems very clear that John the Baptist and Jesus understood that you and I, if we're going to come into the kingdom of God through the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we must repent and believe. Now, moving on to the apostles, in particular, Peter and Paul. We got four references for Peter. Everybody knows Peter right there after the day of Pentecost, right? Uh, whenever the Holy Spirit came, they were in the upper room. Peter stands up and he begins to preach because everybody was looking around and says, hey, are these people drunk, right? And Peter gets up and begins to proclaim to them, they're not drunk, that the Holy Spirit's coming through, through uh, Jesus Christ and what he did. He begins to proclaim the gospel to them. And Peter doesn't even get to the end of his sermon. It's amazing to me. Peter doesn't make it to the end of his sermon before the lost people begin to call for the invitation, right? The lost people stand up in the middle of the sermon and say, hey, brothers, what must we do? And Peter tells them exactly what they must do to be saved. Uh, Write down uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 26 through 38. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. You shall receive the gift and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's the first thing out of Peter's mouth when it comes to being saved? Repent, right? And inherent is that 
in, in that is this idea of believing. Repentance and faith go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. They, they, they are joined together at the hip, if you will. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Peter's at Solomon's portico. And he's proclaiming again the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says to the people whenever he is telling them what they must do to be saved. Acts chapter 3 verse 19, Peter says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and be converted. Repentance is linked to salvation and the, and the new birth and our conversion. Acts chapter 11, verses 14 and 17 through 18, Peter again is reporting on what happened at Cornelius' house. And hopefully you understand that story. You remember Peter sitting on the rooftop and he has this vision about lunchtime and God lets down this sheet with all these animals on it. And God says, hey, go kill and eat. And Peter says, I can't go kill and eat because these are unclean animals. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and I've never eaten any of these animals before in my life. And God does this three times for Peter. And God ultimately tells Peter, don't call unclean what I have made clean. And what God was doing is preparing Peter's heart for what he was about to have to do and that's go to a Gentile's house and share the gospel because at the same time God was dealing with Peter he was dealing with Cornelius and he said send some folks to get Peter bring him back and he's going to tell you some things that'll save you and save your household and so the the Jews get upset because Gentiles are, are supposedly coming to faith you know the Jews had a problem with the Gentiles and so Peter comes in and shares this experience with them. And that's where this, this text comes from. He says, what shall, what, what, who shall tell the, uh, this, is, this is what Peter's relating about what Cornelius was thinking. Because God had told Cornelius to call for Peter. And he says, uh, Peter's coming and he shall tell you these words, whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did us, meaning he gave to Cornelius and these Gentiles the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like he gave the Jews who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the idea of salvation. What was I that I would could withstand God. Whereas Peter says, I can't keep God from doing what he's doing. If he's going to save Gentiles, God's going to save Gentiles, right? And so he says, when they heard these things, meaning the council that was there, they held their peace and glorified God saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. What's the important issue there? God had granted to the Gentiles the same thing he had granted to the Jews, repentance that leads to life. And that life is tied back to this idea of believing in Jesus Christ in this text. Repentance and faith lead to salvation and eternal life. They are one side, they are each part of the same coin, right? Two different sides of the same coin. They cannot be separated. Then he goes on, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. And this is when, in the first century, right? <clears throat> a long time after Jesus had, had risen, right? There were people there saying, hey, you know, man, it's been, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And uh, Jesus ain't come back yet. You know, what's going on? Is God not going to keep his promise? 
And this is where this flows from. Peter begins to tell them that passage we know, God not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness, right? So here's the text. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, or to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. And you would almost think the next word ought to be faith or salvation, but the next word is repentance. You see how the Bible, how the apostles, repentance is tied to this issue of saving faith. You cannot get away from it in God's word. Now, moving on to the Apostle Paul. I got eight minutes left, y'all. Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Paul is on the uh, Mars Hill. You remember that story? He goes over there and he sees all these statues uh, to, to pagan idols and the statue to the unknown God. And they call him over after hearing what he says in the marketplace and say, hey, we we'll won't listen to this guy more. And they bring him in and he begins to proclaim to them what is behind this unknown God that they have as this statue there. And they, he points them to the real God. And in the midst of that sermon, he brings them to this place of repentance and the verification of who God is and the salvation of God that's in Jesus Christ by virtue of the resurrection. So in verse 30 in Acts chapter 17, Paul says, and, and the times of ignorance God winked at, but now he commandeth. And here, here again, the gospel is not God's request. You, you guys need to understand that. It's, it's not what we portray it to be today is God, you know, he, he's, he's bowing down on his knees and he's begging us to come to him. No. The repentance and faith are God's command to you and me. And if we disobey that command, we are rebellious and guilty before a holy, righteous God. Paul says, God has commanded all men everywhere. And again, you would almost think that the next word ought to be believe. But what does it say? It says, repent. So repentance is tied to this issue of salvation. Acts chapter 20, verse 21. Acts 20 and verse 21, Paul is before the Ephesian elders, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greek and uh, the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul begins to help us understand how this repentance and faith works together, right? It's turning from our sin and our guilt and acknowledging that we are sinners, that we are guilty before a holy, righteous God. And we see God for who he is and we see us for who we are and we turn from that and we throw ourselves on Christ and we trust fully in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I don't have time to read the rest of these passages so we can get to the end of this thing. Write down Acts chapter 26 verses 17 through 20. It's Paul's testimony before Agrippa. And you know what he tells Agrippa? His, his ministry is to go around telling, sharing with the Jews and the Gentiles this message of repentance that leads to life. It's all throughout the preaching of the apostles. Write down Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. You remember that's the one about leaving the elementary principles of the gospel ultimately. And what was included in those elementary principles, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Repentance and faith right there together. 
in this concept of coming to salvation and being ushered into the kingdom of God. All right, point number three. Just look at this biblical understanding of the idea of repentance as it relates to salvation. Two words usually are used in the Greek as it relates to the issue of repentance. The noun form of the word is metanoia, and the verb form of the word is metanoeo. Okay? Metanoia, metanoeo, both have a similar meaning because they're the same word. One is just in the verb form, the action form, and one is just in the noun subject form. They ultimately have this issue. If you just woodenly look at those words, it's made up of two words. Meta is a ver, uh, a preposition, and uh, naeo is is uh, has to do with the mind. And so it is literally with the mind. Most people look at it as exercising the mind. But the concept behind that word has to do with a changing of one's mind, a changing of one's feelings and emotions and actions, okay? And so that's inherent in this idea of repentance. It's not just merely the concept of I got to make a list of all of my sins and recount all of my sins to God. That's not the the end all and be all of repentance. The essence of repentance is I come to an understanding in my life that I am guilty before God. I am from birth depraved and I am a wretch and a reprobate and I deserve God's wrath to be poured out on me. And I come to the understanding that God is holy and righteous and just. And he is just in the fact that he wants to pour his wrath out on me, the sinner. And then I come to this change of mind. I don't want to be that way anymore. I don't want to be under the wrath of God anymore. I don't want to follow after that old style, that old life, the lust of the flesh. I want to bow my knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I understand that God in Christ has suffered for me and dealt with my guilt and dealt with my sins. And I, in faith, Trust in the finished work of Christ to redeem me and reconcile me to God. That's what repentance is. And so you can see how repentance and faith are linked together. And you can't have one without the other. And there's some amazing things that we learn about repentance in this text. One, the Jews, he says, do you presuppose in Romans chapter 2, again in verse 4, upon the kindness of God? What was the kindness of God? It's the same thing Peter was talking about when he said God was long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The kindness of God is that he has put up with our sinfulness throughout the history of humanity, allowing as many people as will come to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm like John at at, at the end of Revelation. Even so come Lord Jesus. But I'm also like Peter in in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Thank you, Lord, that you waited another day. You know why? Because that gives one more person the opportunity to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Repentance 
is God's gift to us, just like faith. Don't take my word for it. We all know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, don't we? Almost every believer understands that passage. For by grace are you saved through faith. And what's the next clause after the, 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 I can't even think of it right this minute. My old man brain. I guess my birthday caused my brain to stop working, (laughs) right? The comma. What's the next frame? And that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? Well, the same thing is true about repentance. You remember that passage we read when Paul, Peter was recounting the, the story of Cornelius? What did the Jews who heard that say? Well, God then has granted to the Gentiles this repentance. God gives us when he opens our mind to the truth of who we are and who he is as we hear the word, right? Faith comes how? By hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. When we hear that truth, the Holy Spirit works in our life. He opens our minds so that we can see. As it were, he takes the blinders off of us and he points out to us our sinfulness and he points out to us his whole, God's holiness and he gives us the ability for the first time in our life to actually repent and believe. My friends, repentance is required, but it's also demanded, right? We already read the text, and I won't belabor it because it's 1131. Acts chapter 17, what did Paul say? God's not requesting that you repent. God's not requesting that you believe. God is demanding that you, re- you believe. As a matter of fact, if you go back and look at the gospel cross-references I gave, when John uses repentance, it is in the imperative form. It's not a request, it's a command. When Jesus uses the word repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, it's in the imperative form. It's a command, not a request. And here's the reality. And we'll learn this as we go through Romans. You already know these passages. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? That's what Paul's trying to paint this picture of for the Jews and the Gentiles. In particular, from chapter 2 on to the end of chapter 3, it's all about the Jews getting in their heads that they're guilty just like the Gentiles are guilty. And that they, just like the Gentiles, must come to Jesus Christ the same way through repentance and faith. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. So the question before you today is have you repented and believed? There is no biblical concept, with all due respect to my independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James-only, soul-winning Baptist, and many other Southern Baptists and any other person you want to put in that evangelical group, with all due respect to those who say that repentance, turning from our way of doing things, our sinful life, and turning Christ and bowing the knee to Christ and surrendering our will to Christ. In other words, for all of those who reject the idea of lordship salvation, 
you don't have a biblical leg to stand on. Because there's no concept in God's word where a person comes to Christ and is not changed. After all, what does Paul say? Old things are passed away. Not will be passed away. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. What does Jesus say in John chapter 3? If you want to come into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And the idea is there's a new life. There's a change in who you are. Not that you're going to be perfect, but the bent of your heart is to follow after the will and the way of Christ. And that's evidence to us that we are the children of God, right? That we continue to desire and and live after the will of God. If that doesn't mark our life, then we need to do what Paul called us to do and examine ourselves to be sure that we're in the faith. Works don't save you. But when you get saved, God will impute into us the desire to follow after his commandments. We didn't read verse 10, right? We don't, we don't ever quote verse 10 of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Remember, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul goes on to say in the very next birth that we are God's creation and we've been created for good works that God has predetermined beforehand for us to do. It parallels with what James says, right? Faith without works is what? Dead faith. Not that works save you, but when you get saved, the works will follow, right? Anyway, we could go on and on. So you have to determine in your own life, have you repented and believed? If not, today is the day of salvation. Don't leave this place without coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this time that you've given us. Brief as it is, that we can study your word. And Father, your word is powerful and sharp as any two-edged sword. And Father, your word always accomplishes what you send it out to do. So this morning, in our lives, use the sword of your word to change the way we think, to draw us to Christ, and to conform us to the image of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.